Well, Denzel Washington, an Academy Award-winning actor in 2011, gave the graduation speech at the Ivy League School of UPenn. Thousands of people were there, graduates, parents, friends, and here's the thing, he had never given a speech like this before. And he told them, I fear that I'm going to make myself a fool giving this speech. But he also said that's exactly why he had come. Why do you say that? Because in his 20-minute speech, full of nerves and awkward moments, he recited his own personal failures. Almost failing out of college, changing majors twice, and then, and when pursuing acting, bumbling through countless auditions, even thinking that he could sing in an audition, which went really bad. And he told these Ivy League graduates, you will fail. And if you do not fail, you are not trying. And then the famous line of his speech is, when you fall, fall forward. A very interesting speech. I don't think it would be the ideal speech, I would think in my mind, to tell the smartest minds in America, holding their diplomas, ready to take on the world, to tell them, you will fail. Well, it actually has become a pretty well-known speech, and one that people cite often as one of the greater graduation speeches. Well, today, we are going to hear another speech, given in front of thousands, also given by an unlikely character, with his plethora of failures. And this speech challenges the audience to the core. How much? That it will cut them to the heart. The speech connects to their questions. It tells how their life is interwoven into the message of the cross. And it challenges them with a response. Could this speech connect with our questions? Could this speech describe issues in our story? Could this speech challenge us with a response? Here we are, put together Americans. Maybe we need to fall, fall forward into the message of the cross. Let's hear what the word says, shall we? Acts chapter 2, I'm going to take it in sections. First going to look at verses 14 through 21. Please pay attention as we look at God's word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. The word of the Lord. For you just joining us, welcome. We are going through this large book of Acts. We'll only go through a certain amount of chapters, but in the 28 chapters of the whole book, it covers 32 years of the beginning of the church. And we see the growth of the church. This good news going from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And we've wondered as we started this book, is it going to happen? Here this, this motley crew of disciples. And they've been given this mission to share this good news to the ends of the earth. Well, Jesus has promised them a helper, the Holy Spirit. And We've been waiting for it. They've been waiting for it. And last week, we saw that it came at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. And it came at a time, Pentecost, which is a festival, a feast, that in Jerusalem, the city swelled to 150,000 people would be in, that, in the city at that time. And they came throughout the Roman Empire. People coming from different languages and tribes. Here, gathered in Jerusalem. And as the Spirit came upon the disciples, they were able to speak in the different languages that were throughout the empire. And the people hearing this were wondering, what does this mean? That now these people are able to speak in these different languages, telling us this message. Well, you're going to see, and hopefully we've conveyed this, that Acts has a lot of speeches. It makes up over a third of the book, 20 plus speeches. And one interesting thing, especially before these long speeches, is before these people speak, there's a question that's on the mind of the audience that they're speaking to. Maybe the audience is wondering, what are these miracles? Or maybe, as Paul is speaking in Athens, what are our heart needs? What are behind us? What are the statues that are around us? And in this speech, the questions are, what is this, all these languages and these tongues, what do they mean? And we see that Peter is answering these questions. Again, we've said that the Holy Spirit is this major aspect of the book of Acts. And many times in our sphere, maybe growing up in the church, that idea of the Holy Spirit can seem very nebulous, kind of not concrete. What does this mean? Well, I think in Acts, 
concretely the Holy Spirit works in these ways. Number one, it brings salvation. The Holy Spirit unites us with the Father through the Son. Number two, the Holy Spirit brings sanctification, meaning it molds us and changes us and shapes us in the likeness of God and His holiness. It has the power to do that. And thirdly, and lastly, the Spirit moves forward in mission. It empowers people to boldness to speak the gospel message and also to work in people's hearts to hear the gospel message. It draws people to Christ. You'll see in the book of Acts, there are people you think, there is no way, whether they're Gentiles far off, whether they're people like Saul who persecuted and killed Christians as we see, that we think there is no way that they would respond to the gospel. But we see what the Spirit does. The Spirit has the power to change people's minds and their hearts and to come to faith. And it gets people to start asking questions. What is this message all about? What makes you people so different? How does this answer the questions and problems of life and what we're seeing around? And you see before Peter gets into a very great explanation, a wonderful explanation of the gospel. If you ever want to know what is the gospel, go to the speeches in Acts. But before he gets in there, he answers their questions. If you've been paying attention so far, hopefully you have, in the book of Acts, you see that a lot of this book is about proclaiming the message of Christianity. We use a loaded word when we talk about that. The word is evangelism. Maybe when you hear, hear that word evangelism, it gets your blood pressure going, or maybe your palms get sweaty. You're like, oh great, evangelism. It can be a very scary thing. Maybe we think it's someone on a street corner, someone giving a speech like this, me giving this booklet out and going through these questions. Like, we wonder, this could be scary, especially in a culture that says, you do you. Or, really, life is about my own preferences, no one has the right to tell me how to live. There is no objectivity outside of my own ideas and subjectivity. But here the message of the gospel says there is a truth. There is a way that we're being called to live. Now I want to encourage you that those might have sweaty palms right now as we talk about the word evangelism. That some good news I want you to hear from Acts is this. That it's ultimately a work of the Spirit. Only God can really change people's hearts. And only by the power of the Spirit can people be moved from darkness to light. Now that might make you, some of you say, good news, I'm off the hook. No worries. No Here's the great thing. God in his sovereignty and his plan, he is using us 
to share the message of the gospel to bring people to faith. That's his great plan, to use us for this. There's one guy that Dan Jackson, pastor in Green Bay, and I love. His name is Al Dayhoff. Al loves to spend time in blues bars. And also, he loves to go to tattoo conventions. And he's an amazing evangelist. And you know what he does when he's at the bar? Or when he's at these tattoo conventions? He listens. He listens a lot. And through his listening, many people have come to Christ. Dan Jackson and I, over the past few years, maybe you've been involved in the things that we've talked about. Dan developed something called the Spiritual Journey Survey. And we've talked about it as a church. And what we do is, we have ten questions that we go and we ask these questions of our friends. Here's the thing. Many people of our friends or neighbors or maybe even our family members, they might know, hey, I hear, I know that you go to church and you're a Christian and those kind of things, but maybe the conversations have never made it past that. And we developed this survey to maybe take it to that next step. So th some things that we've done as a church or what I've done individually is as people have gotten to know me at the YMCA um, volleyball that I coach, different places, and they know that I'm a pastor. And I say to them, you know, I know that you know I'm a pastor, and, you know, I talk about spiritual things, but I want to talk about some spiritual things with you. Can we go to lunch? And I just want to hear about where you're at. I have never had a bad experience with this. And what I do is I take someone to lunch, and we have the questions in the back, so I encourage you to take them the spiritual survey questions. And I just ask those questions. Questions like, what do you think the purpose of life is? If there's a God, what is God like? What do you think about Jesus? If you could ask God any question, what would it be? And all I do is just listen. I don't give feedback, I don't give comments back, I just listen. At the end of the lunch, I say thanks. Thanks for sharing your story. And if you want to get together with me and talk more about Christianity, I'm more than willing to, if you want to hear what I think. But you don't have to. About half the time, people take it up on me to, to talk and I have little booklets that I go through for about four weeks, and we give them out to you guys. You can use them too. Sometimes they don't want to talk about it, but what I found interesting is that they know that I'm a safe person that will listen, and I've had people call me a year later, two years later, three years later, and have said, you know, I'm ready to talk, and then we talk about it. Maybe those could be some questions you could ask. Maybe your friends and your families, your neighbors, they know you're a Christian, but they've never taken it further than that, and you've never taken it further than that. Maybe we should.
You know, one thing that Peter gets at the very onset is, are these people drunk? No, that's the beginning question before he then gets to the expounding of the gospel. I would encourage you, some of the questions that I get, that you might get very early on about what people think about your faith, can seem very weird. Like questions about, what about hell? Am I in trouble that I have a tattoo? How about the problem of evil? What's your view on sexual ethics? What about Buddhism? I get all kinds of questions that are so far away from the gospel. But answering those questions first are helpful to then getting to the gospel message. And Peter does a great job of moving to answering the question and then addressing that and then getting to the gospel. Well, some of you might say, well, I'm not Peter. I don't know if I can share a message like he does. Well, I have good news for you. I'm glad you're not Peter. Because he is a loud mouth, stick his foot in the mouth, denier of Christ, that swears at people, and God still used him. <laughs> it's amazing. That's what's beautiful. The, the, the apostle that stands up out of the 12 to address this message is Peter. If I would have heard that, I'd be like, no, not him. But that's what's amazing. The Spirit has worked upon Peter's life to mold him and shape him, to give a message like this. Well, what's his answer? His answer right away, are these people drunk? Of course not, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Obviously, Peter wasn't from Wisconsin. But then, he gives them an explanation of what's going on with the Spirit by relating it to something that they know the prophet Joel. So, what does he do in talking about the prophet Joel? Well, he explains what Joel talked about hundreds of years before. That there would come a day where the Spirit would come upon people and speak. And that's what's happening at Pentecost. So we wonder, what are these last days? Are the last days the days of Pentecost? Are the last days now? Are the last days when the world ends? The answer is yes. It's all of those things. You see, when Christ came, a new age came. A new day came. When Christ came, things changed. There was now one that broke into a world of sin and death and lived differently. Now there was a way through. Christ resurrected from the dead. There was a new reality. When Aaron Rodgers was signed to the Packers, it became the last days of Brett Favre. Right? Brett Favre still played. Brett Favre still was on the team, but we knew it was the last days. 
Hopefully Jordan Love is in the last days of Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. But that's another question. But the point is this. Even though that there is still sin in the world, there is still remnants of this age of ugliness, we are in the age of Christ. Where sin has been conquered and there is life. That now the chains have been taken off that the gospel message can be heard. Not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world. So, that means we should live in a sense of urgency, even now. That there is the last days now that we should be sharing. And all those that might be worried, oh, it seems like it's a long way past. Remember what Peter says later in his epistle. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord. The last days. Number two, prophecy. What is he talking about? People being able to talk in prophecy. In the Old Testament, prophets were few and far between. They spoke a message from God. But Joel told us that their day would come, and it has come in the age of the church now, in Pentecost and now, that all types of people would be able to tell and speak the message of God. It's not simply future telling. It's not being able, prophecy doesn't seem to say, oh, if you're going to win a million dollars in a couple years. No, that's not the point. The prophetic message that's being talked about here is the message of hope, of reconciliation that has been given to the church about Jesus Christ. And that has been given to all that believe in Christ and the Spirit was in them. They speak with a prophetic message. What is the hope of the world? We have it in our lives, on our lips to share. And this is what's so profound. Love how it says here, young and old, men and women, slave and free. That Evelyn... At her age, can be able to have on her lips wisdom that maybe someone 40 years older than her does not have. That from her lips can come the prophetic word of God's reconciliation power. That she can say to a neighbor or a grandparent, this is the hope of the world. How beautiful in the 18th century that slaves in the South, people that were enslaved, that had no property, that could not have their own life, that from their mouths could come the prophetic message of hope in the message of the gospel to their slave owners. That they could say to them, I have the prophetic word. I have the message of the cross on my lips. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man or a slave or a free or a boss or a worker or young or old. If you belong to Christ, you have a message for the world.
then lastly is the one that I can't avoid, all this idea of, you know, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And of course, I could get into many debates about eschatology, pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill. Is the world getting worse? Is it getting better? We answered a lot of those questions when we went through Revelation. If you have those questions, I'll answer them for you later. I can't get into it now. But I think the major point here is, is not simply that we can read the tea leaves and think, you know, oh, the world's going to get a lot worse before Christ comes or whatever it might be. The point is here, even with corruption in the world that we'll see in the last days, which we live in now, even the gospel can go forward. That even in the worst types of situations, all who call upon the Lord, even in those places, can be, or sorry, shall be saved. That is a good word for us right now. In the middle of pandemic, in political tensions, in racial tensions, and the existential threat we feel of living in America, that even in those kinds of settings, we shall not hunker down. We should not be scared. Instead, we know that the gospel can still go forward. And we have a message even in the hardest times. Okay, so Peter answers their questions about what is going on at Pentecost. But then he does not stop there. He shows his audience how they are tied personally to the story of the cross. Let's read on, shall we? Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made me known to me, made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, 
until I make your enemies your footstool. See, here are these people in Jerusalem at this time, and even throughout, have heard a little bit about this message of Jesus. Maybe some a little bit, some more. They've heard both the positives and probably what they see, the amazing. One, he's from Nazareth, not a great place to be. But still, even though he's from Nazareth, he, had many, he did many wonders and signs. He was crucified. But his crucifixion was according to God's plan. He was resurrected. And here, the apostles don't give any defense to the resurrection. They just speak it as truth. We are witnesses. We saw it. It happened. As true as it is that he died, is as true as he rose from the dead. And then, this is what Peter does. He involves his audience even more by taking their hero. One thing that all the Jews could agree on throughout the diaspora, throughout the Roman Empire, is that their great king was David. And they all agreed with that. And here is Peter's amazing speaking ability. And what he sees all ultimately through the Spirit. Peter quotes David from Psalm 16, which we read earlier, in Psalm 110. Many times those people could have thought David was talking about himself. But this is what Peter is arguing. David is not talking about himself when he says there, he will have no corruption or there will be no death. Because you know You've seen his tomb. You know that he is dead. David is talking about a greater king, one that would conquer death. That's what he was talking about in Psalm 16. We have seen what David is talking about. We have seen it. The greater king has come. He has performed miracles. He died upon the cross and rose from the dead. And we have seen him ascend into heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of God. And then when David says, the Lord said to my Lord, David is saying, God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's talking about Christ's ascension, now sitting at the right hand hand of the Father. Peter is involving these people into the story of Christianity by talking about their great king and saying there is a greater king than, that, than what they know of David. All that you've heard, all that we witnessed is God's plan to make Jesus Lord and the Messiah. <clears throat> I do wonder, does that hit you as hard as it hits them? If I said, don't you realize King David saw Jesus was the greatest king? I don't think that would persuade you because I don't think a lot of you 
think about King David a lot. You know, I find it fascinating that uh, the people that we have speak at graduation speeches now in America are like actors <laughs> or like superstars, you know? Like Christine Aguilera could get a, you know, a basically a, a PhD, honorary PhD at a graduation. Tony Bennett spoke at my graduation. The crooner, Tony Bennett. Come on. I didn't want to hear from Tony Bennett. Of course, my parents did because he sung a few lines and they got a kick out of it, right? But he gave my graduation speech. What is up with that? Do you know what's up with that? We love stardom in America. We love our movie stars. We love our pop stars. We love our Tony Bennett's. What if one of them our great king told us there was a greater king. You know what Denzel Washington said in his speech? Number one, he said, put God first in everything you do. Everything that you think you see in me, in everything you think I've accomplished, in everything you think I have, Everything I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. Fall forward to that. Would that convince you? Would that convince you? Our search for happiness our search for stardom, our search for dreams, our search for self-expressionism. What if when people got there, they said, it's not enough. You need something more. When Aaron Rodgers won his Super Bowl and was sitting on the bus, do you know what he said? He sat there and he thought to himself, there better be more than this. For these people, for the Jewish people, they didn't want that kind of Messiah. It can't be. We want him to conquer our enemies of Rome. But he loved them. He was not rich, but he was poor. He didn't come just for us, but he came for Gentiles. His followers were women and fishermen. He was humbled even to death. We don't want that. And David and I were talking about this. This is the great turn in the speech. Powerful. Look with me. Verse 36. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All their hope, all their desires of what they wanted from a Messiah blinded them from what they truly needed. It blinded them so much that they rejected him and killed him. And when they heard that, it cut them to the heart. The only time in all the New Testament this phrase is ever used, it is emotionally loaded. It's stabbed. It's emotional. It cuts them. And so much they go, what should we do? And Peter says, turn, trust in. And on that day, an amazing thing happened. 3,000 people came to faith. What can I do to convince you of a message that would cut you to the heart? I love my girls a lot. And I love figuring out what drives them. I love my daughter Morgan for her determination and her grit. And I love her so much I lose my voice because yesterday I'm at a volleyball tournament coaching her team, encouraging them, yelling at them. But imagine, imagine we lost a tournament and I turned to my daughter Morgan and I said, we lost because of your play. And then Aaron, my wife, would come over to me and said, you've lost yourself. You've lost yourself in your reason for doing this. You have seen what you've done to your daughter. That would cut me to the heart. What would cut us to the heart in the church today?
I wonder if the message of the church has simply become this. Go after your self-expressionism. The church is here to help you fulfill your happiness. The church is here to make you feel good about any choice you want to make. The church is here to be your therapist and be therapeutic so you can feel good about your dreams. I do wonder why so many people in the church right now are so angry and so upset and even do not like each other right now because maybe that's the message we've given people. And then in our response, when we are in a place of pandemic and tensions and problems and we are angry and we are frustrated and we say to God, God, where are you in fulfilling my dreams? Where are you in making me feel good? Where are you in making me feel happy? Dare I say that we have replaced Jesus and rejected him and killed him simply that he would become our genie, one that would provide all of our needs rather than trusting that he is our savior that went to the cross and died upon it to save us from our sin. In our anger, in our frustration, in our hatred towards our brother is because we want Jesus to give us all of our needs rather than realizing that Jesus cuts us to our very heart, that we need to turn from our self-expressionism and turn in trust and faith to him. For the last two months, I have had the great privilege of meeting with a friend of mine going through the spiritual journey. He's never opened the Bible in his life. And I get to open the Bible with him as he's reading the book of John for the first time. Reading John. And he says, he says this Jesus, he says he's the savior of the world. And he says, maybe that goal I have for my happiness, he's after more than that. He's actually after my soul. And my idol of happiness has caused me to rationalize sin and selfishness throughout my life. What shall we do? Shall we repent from this anger of not getting what we want, from our frustrations? Should we repent from these things and turn to Jesus, trusting that he is everything that we need and we ha should have faith in him? Christian, I know. Non-Christian, I know. We long to be known. 
We long to have purpose. Could in your search for purpose, in your search for knowing, it has led you down the wrong path. That actually, purpose and meaning is found right here. Turn from self-expressionism. Turn from your dreams and fail and fall. Fall on him. <laughs>